Well, I, you know, I was going to say that uh, our speaker this morning is here for the first time. And then as I thought about it, I'm sitting there, I'm going, no, he's not. Not only, he, he's spoken at some uh, other things, never on a Sunday morning, but he's been here for 20 years. And, and the reason I say that is because every one of us, as we've talked about, you know, we're, we're an amalgamation of all our experiences and people that have walked through our lives. And uh, so this man, with two other men, as I, as I thought about it uh, not too long ago, uh, has had the most influence personally on me. I remember as, uh, could this have been at the bank? 50 years ago, uh, our speaker this morning is, is uh, the pastor of the Church of the Gateway, celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. And I think it was at the bank. We started in the bank. And my mother brought me. I read, you know how you have some thoughts when you're a little kid? And uh, it's just these brilliant thoughts. I remember wearing white buck shoes, having a little suit on, because my mother always used to dress me up. And I remember it had to be about 95 degrees, coming down, standing on steps, and looking up at my cousin, this young, good-looking you know, pastor. And even that day, I remember being inspired. When I went to Bible college years later, I used to uh, have them send the, the tapes, the cassette tapes of his messages, and I would listen. And, and I said, you know what? God can work through and does work through men who speak the word boldly and clearly, and uh, probably as much or more than any other man on this earth, I owe what I am to him. And so you've heard him for 20 years in a sense. But this is the first time he's been here on a Sunday morning. It took me 20 years to get him here. He recently became, are you Pastor Emeritus? Not yet. You know, that's when they, you know, they show you the door kind of thing. They, uh, you know, they, they give you the emeritus uh, status. And, uh, but he's going to be around. He's going to be still preaching there and uh, in and out, right? His son, Tim Mercaldo, is uh, taking the reins of, of the senior pastorate. We're so happy that Vangie, his wife, is here. Uh, missionary kid, uh, remember the Temple Trio, it started. I used to listen to their albums. They had a group. My goodness, I could go on and on and on. But uh, uh, we're so happy. I, I am so happy to have When he said he'd come on March 1st, I said, it's going to be a great day. It's a great day for me personally. So I want to welcome Dr. Dan Mercaldo from Church of the Gateway. Would you please welcome him to the crossing? Yeah. Wow. I'm not accustomed to these kind of introductions, but uh, I, I just want to share my part of what I think of your pastor. I've loved him since, actually, when he was born, I threw him around, he and his sisters. I'm one of the oldest cousins in the family, and <laughs> I, I can remember him growing up with the call of God upon his life, and his mother telling me one time, God has called him to be a, a pastor. I, I was just so thrilled to hear that. And then when he came here, I guess 25 years ago, is it more than that? 27 years ago. And uh, how long a senior pastor? 20. Wow, 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 wow. And I love him, and I pray for you as a church, and I pray for He gets twice a week from me, Fridays for the family and Sunday mornings for all the pastors that I can remember in this entire region before I get up to preach in my uh, congregation. Um, I, I want to I share something with you today that has been a, a very special reality in my life. When Vanjie and I uh, left uh, uh, Bible College, we traveled for three years almost in a singing group, traveled across America, 
the United States, almost every major city in America and Eastern Canada, and then almost every major city of Central America, because my wife's family were missionaries in Costa Rica at that time. She was raised in Costa Rica most of her life. And here when I met her in school, here's this blonde speaking with a Spanish accent. I said, how does that work out? And then I found out she was a, a missionary's daughter. We got married uh, very, very young and uh, traveled for three years while I was in school. And then the Lord called us to a very large church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where my son Tim was born. And uh, we were about three years, and then I got a call to come and start a church on Staten Island, 1964, in that period of time. I, I, it was a tremendous struggle. Back in those days, church planting was like a dinosaur. Who, who planted it? The, we were the only church planted on Staten Island. Can you believe this, Pastor? For 25 years before me, no church had been planted. And three of them were planted that summer, and two of them folded up, and we survived it. And uh, I, I think about that because it took us 11 years to reach 120 people. And then... Something happened. We built our first building, and after nine and a half or almost ten years, and I picked up a book in 1975 that said, your church has possibilities, and here's what it said. If I'm still alive, this, this writer said, in the year 2000, it will be a thrill to look across America in the 21st century and see tremendous institutions in every city carrying out fantastic programs to heal human hearts, to fill human needs, enormous centers of human inspiration where people gather by the thousands and tens of thousands on Sunday and seven days a week for spiritual and personal growth. Tremendous spiritual growth centers, dynamic inspiration generating centers, great family development centers, proof positive of a renewed, revitalized, resurrected church for a new generation. I closed that book and went on vacation that summer, and we hit some great churches in the Midwest, and, and back in Fort Wayne with one of my mentors, we visited the church, and I saw a gigantic church there, and I saw a ministry of what it could look like if it reached hundreds of people instead of, at that time, and even today, 95% of the churches or more in America are less than 100 people. So a church of your size is an anomaly. A church of my size is an anomaly. You don't see them around. And so when I saw that back in 1975, I, I came back with my two little children. My son was just a young boy. My daughter was a young girl. And I came back and I put a sign up all around the church, red and white letters, bathrooms, women's room, men's rooms, kitchen, wherever there was a spot in that little building we first built. And it said, yes, Lord, we can. Yes, Lord, because everybody told me we can't. You can't build a large church. Staten Island had never seen a church, a Protestant church, over 500 people in all of its history. Everybody said, you can't do it here. This is more difficult here. And, what? and so I put this sign up all over, and we started saying, yes, Lord, we can. And it transformed our church. Within a matter of five years, we had gone over 500, and the church continued to grow with this thought permeating our minds and our hearts. We can see a great church. Now, remember, the size of a church is not what makes it great. It's the significance. But there is something to a church of three, four, five, six hundred in a community, especially through the eyes of a politician. 
They watch that. And especially through the eyes of neighborhoods when they see a parking lot filled on Sunday morning. What's happening there? And during that time, I discovered a verse of scripture. I had read through the book of Acts over and over again. And I discovered one verse of scripture in the Bible that laid the path for growth for a church and for me personally. In fact, this verse of scripture lays out the path for kingdom growth in our lives, our families, in our marriages. You businessmen that are here, businesswomen, it lays out the path how you grow and how all of us grow. And it gave me a passion to see our little church of 120 people grow to hundreds, even thousands. Here it is, Acts 9.31. Get it in your mind, is it? Because it's the pathway to growth in your marriage, in your family, in your personal life, and in the crossing church or any church that will believe it. Here's what it says. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. I like it from the New Living Testament. New, new, uh, 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 New Living Testament. Here's what it says. The church had peace and it became stronger as believers lived in the fear of the Lord and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Now the Holy Spirit gives us five principles here or dynamics for kingdom growth. And I want you to look at them with me because after 50 years of pastoring that church, my heart still beats with the same pulse to honor God, to lift up Jesus Christ, and to see the work of the Holy Spirit done to touch hundreds and thousands of lives before Jesus comes. Nothing less than that should be the goal of us as individuals or as a congregation. The first dynamic, peace. It says here, the church enjoyed peace. The message says, had smooth... Don't you wish, Pastor, that there were periods of a year, two, maybe three years? Of course, I know here at the crossing, you are an experience what we experience on Staten Island. It's a different breed of people down there. But I tell you right now, I pray at times, and my dear wife does, God, give us what? Help us to sail a while smoothly. The King James said the church had rest. The Greek word here is harmony of relationships. Now, I had been to dozens of church conferences up to that point and even to this point. I've never heard one person ever use the word peace as a dynamic of growth. And yet, the New Testament church that knocked off the growth charts, it says the first thing about it was that it enjoyed Peace. And I figured it out. First of all, peace with God. What were they doing? They were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were lifting up Christ. They were telling men and women that you can be reconciled to God. I love how Billy Graham described it. When I was a kid, I saw him do it. He said, when Jesus was on the cross, he took the hand of sinful man and the hand of a righteous God, and he brought them. He broke the wall down. He reconciled them. And put them in relationship, harmony of relationship with God. That's what the church is all about. 
Somebody told me recently I was baptizing. I still baptize. One of my mentors, Dr. Criswell, out in First Baptist in Dallas, he was baptizing a long time. So I said, I might as well stay in the water myself. I got nothing against the water. And so one of the girls came to me after and said, Pastor, you're the happiest when you're in that water baptizing people. Why? Because we've seen thousands of souls come to Jesus Christ, saved from eternal hell and death. Wouldn't you be happy about that? Aren't, let me put it this way. Aren't you happy about that? Peace with God. Do you have peace with God today? Do you believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, that he lived the sinless life, that he went to the cross to die for your sins, that he was buried and he rose again, he ascended to the Father, and he sent the blessed Holy Spirit at gateway, we call it the 18-inch difference, what most Catholics, Protestants, Orthodox, even some in our own churches believe here, has to come here. It has to come in Christ in you is your hope of glory. Peace with God. But I want you to keep going here because if we have peace with God, Augustine said, how can one draw close to God who is far from his own self? You've got to have peace with yourself. Have you met you? When you met him or her, do you like what you met? The teaching of the Institute in Basic Life Principles gave a generation of Christians, millions of them, an understanding of the principle of design, that God has created each one of us with temperament and gifts and a DNA, and when we're born again into his family, he gives us spiritual gifts, motivations in our lives. And if we can understand them, Oh, I wish I knew them when my wife and I first got married. What she lived through the first 16 years, she had a special reward in heaven. No, not that you were ready for, at least I wasn't ready for divorce. I'm not sure sometimes about her. But I, I, I didn't understand her giftedness. And I didn't understand mine and the opposite poles that we were at. Same thing happened when I began to read Tim LaHaye's book, Transform Temperaments or spirit-controlled temperaments. And I, I, I got to, to know myself, and when I did, I didn't like some of the things I saw, and I began to pray even harder, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Take control of those aspects because some of my strengths were my greatest weaknesses. And some of our weaknesses become our greatest strengths if we know ourselves. They say that uh, beauty queens are particularly critical of themselves. I don't like my neck. I don't have large enough. Oh, excuse me, I've been that that way. Okay. Uh, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not thin enough, this, you know, this whole thing. Beauty, we look at them and say, wow, these gals are spectacular and everything. But they don't, generally speaking, they don't like themselves. God has a design for every one of our lives. And we've got to discover what it is if we're ever going to have peace with ourselves. Something happens when you get right with God. We get right with ourselves. A transformation begins to take place. Now, we're no angels unawares. Ask our mates, they'll tell you. 
But when God goes to work in the inner man, a peace comes if we allow him to change and transform us. There's a beautiful chorus we used to sing when I was a boy. It didn't have the beat. They didn't use drums with it. Sorry, I love the music myself. Yeah, but, but when something like this, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me, all his wonderful passion and purity, O thou spirit divine, all my Italian nature refine. <laughs> Put yours in there. Till the beauty of Jesus is seen in me beyond all of those different things. Peace with God. Do you have peace with yourself? And then I want you to watch something here. Philippians 2 says, Work hard to show the result of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And the greatest thing that pleases God is that we love one another. And that brings me to this thought. Peace with God. Peace with self. Peace with others. It says the church, plural, enjoyed peace. It's one thing to get it personally. We got a lot of long ranges out there today. And some of you young people listen to me. I'm old enough to tell you this. Get out of your mind the idea that you can make it on your own without the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and a church family. I'm not talking about a concert here and there. They're all over the place. Some churches live on that. Of course, Pastor Tim, not up in this area, but in my area. They live on that. They're just one big worship service. It takes more than that. It takes some older people. It takes some children running around for you to get ready when you have your own, see? A church family. And it says here, the church family enjoyed peace. This speaks of a corporate peace. And I've looked over the past 50 years of our church growth pattern. I can tell when I look at our church growth pattern when we had peace and when we had division. When we had conflicts come in the church and when we didn't. How do I know? Well, I'm going like this and all of a sudden I flat out. And then I keep going and I flat Wait a minute, what happened in 1979? What happened in 1994? What happened in 2003? What happened in 2008? I just gave you the history of our conflicts right there, okay? (laughs) I know what happened. Division came. Conflict came. And it flattened us. And sometimes it set us back from the soul winning and the growth and the development that God wanted us to have. No wonder Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace from the message, pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences, and quick at mending fences. Any fences have to be mended between you and another brother and sister in Christ. I'm not talking about another church. I'm talking about right within your own church family. Don't tell me it can't happen. I've been around a long time. 
That's why Paul said to the Romans in chapter 16, verse 17, watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith, teaching things contrary to what you've been taught. Stay away from them. Well, wait a minute. What kind of a God is this that would tell you to stay away from a person who's poison? Very smart God. A God that wants peace and wants unity and wants you as a church in a congregation to be in harmony of relationships with each other. Stay away. Why? Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. He's not talking about unsaved people. He's not talking about a sinner that comes in and doesn't know how to act or what. He's talking about us, us. And he says here, Stay away from such. They're not serving Christ, oh Lord. They're serving their own personal interests. I challenge you today. Will you be a peacemaker? Will you be a, when you hear something like that coming, will you immediately be diligent to zero in and say, our relationships need to be in harmony. Let's get this clear. You don't rub over it. You don't put a carpet over it. No, no, you deal with it in love and in grace. Why? Because you want the church to enjoy peace. I love that. Second, watch this now. The church enjoyed peace being built up. Now, here's the purpose of the church. This means in the Greek, became well established, not so much in the sense of feeling good, but promoting growth in Christians in wisdom, grace, holiness, courage, and boldness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 from the message says, God wants us to grow up to know the whole truth and tell it in love like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. Now, God set up his church with a clear purpose in mind. The creation of a new breed of people. Sons and daughters created, reborn into the image of his one and only unique son, Jesus Christ. He wasn't stupid. He didn't want us like Satan that fell from heaven. He created Satan too. He didn't want us. He wanted us to be formed and reformed and renewed and rebuilt after the image of his son. And the purpose of the church is to prepare a bride, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. And guess what? He's using every born-again Christian to do it. It's called discipleship. Now, there's a new name, a slick name, I'm mentoring. They use that name now. I don't care what name you use. It's taking someone on. Here's what I want to ask you. When you see a baptismal service and you're sitting in the audience, excuse me, honey, would you? And you're, and you're watching that person being baptized. Do you say, you know, that's about, I have an affinity with that person about my age. You might. My wife and I, I wonder, her husband, I see her husband over there. He's not a Christian. She's getting baptized. I know what we're going to do. We're going to take that woman and that couple under our wings. And we are going to disciple them. We're going to help them. We have, a, we have a purpose described for us by God. We're going to see that couple grow. How about you young people? When a young person gets baptized, is anybody in the audience thinking on the same line as Paul and me? When he said the church purpose is to be built up, what are we going to build up? He wasn't talking about buildings. 
And they're important. Listen, he wasn't talking about institutions. He wasn't talking about departments in the church. He was talking about individual people that he wants to see built up. And I got a problem on Staten Island I got to deal with because a lot of them think because we have a large staff and many associate assistant pastors, directors of ministries and people on staff, that that's their, we give the tithe. Some of them, some of them give the tithe. Forgive them, Lord, would you? The ones that don't. And, 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 and they're saying, and they look and say, well, let, let the pastor do it and the staff. Gee, we just love these guys. Really wonderful gang around here. They're doing all this work. Let me just come to church on Sunday. I hope to God that there aren't people at the crossing that just pop in on Sunday morning and don't give a you-know-what of whether or not a person next to you or a new believer that's struggling with something in their life. I like how the worship leader prayed today. God, there are people here that are struggling, people here that have suffered loss this week. Do, do Do you know anything? Do you give a care at all that they're there? Paul said the church enjoyed peace, being built up, and guess who did it? You, along with me, and along with the staff, and along with the pastors. What would happen if a mother gave birth to a baby and left it on the front steps of the house and said, I did my part. I did my part for my country. I brought the baby into, into life. And now uh, somebody coming along. That woman would be arrested, wouldn't she? A child abuse, she'd be charged by the courts. I, I wonder how the great judge looks down on us when new people come to Christ. In our church. And if they're not coming to Christ, we're missing the first thing, getting people to find peace with God. But I'm assuming that we have that. That's what Paul said. He said the church already enjoyed peace, and it was being building up these new people that are coming. See, I'm preaching to you this morning like I would talk to my own people. I've shared some of these truths around the world in 51 countries. Why? Because I watch the church and I say, here's the greatest force on earth. And in many places, we're losing the battle not because Christ is any less or he's dead or still in the grave. No, we sing it at Easter time. He arose. And we talk about his power. Part of kingdom growth is ever since you came to the crossing, have you discipled at least one other person? Maybe it's your son. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your husband. Have you decided? I'm sure if you were to talk to the pastors and the leaders here, that they would tell you what, there's somebody that needs somebody to put them under their arms. And mentor them. Maybe that word's less frightening. Maybe that's, maybe that's why they're using that word today. God will never ask us to do, he doesn't enable us, give us the power and enable us to do, remember that. And he is calling us to disciple others, to build up, to edify, to lift up. Number three, watch this now. The church enjoyed peace. That's peace. Being built up, that's the purpose. Watch this now. Going on in the fear of the Lord. I like the message. They were permeated with a deep sense of reverence for God. I will never forget, Pastor, when I first read that verse, 
Here I am all excited, growth, people finding God. Yeah, purpose. We got a purpose-driven church and everything. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that, the Holy Spirit says that this exploding church was going on in the fear of the Lord. Now, I, I, my mother was his aunt. My father was his aunt. All we heard, all of all, I'm sure he got it from his family too. We always, the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. I learned that word early in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord, the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is what keeps a young man pure and clean. I'm with one woman all my life because I walk in the fear of the Lord. What is it? the fear of the Lord have to do with kingdom growth in my life, in my family, in my marriage, in my church. What has that got to do with a church that's growing? People living in the fear of the Lord. Listen, the same thing that it relates to your personal life, your marriage, and your family. And by the way, you businessmen that are here, your business, this is how it grows. Listen carefully. The fear of the Lord is the constant awareness that God is weighing and watching every one of my words, my thoughts, my actions, my attitudes, and I am accountable to him for all of them. Let me say it again. It is a cold Sunday morning. I got to say it again. The fear of the Lord, it's a constant awareness. Wherever I am, wherever I go, That God is watching and weighing every one of my thoughts, my attitudes, my actions. And I am accountable to him for them. We have to teach children the fear. Here's how you teach a child the fear of the Lord. Son, you're going off to school today. And uh, there's going to be guys in the bathroom telling you all filthy, dirty things. It happened to me, so I know it happens in the bathroom, okay? Uh, I'm not going to be there, neither is the pastor or your mother or your older brother, Steve. He's not going to be there. You're going to be by yourself, but not really because God is in that bathroom. He's listening to everything you hear, and he's listening to everything that's going into your mind and everything coming out of your mouth. Dad, is that true? Is that true? Yes, son, it is. So whether I'm around or not, I want you to live in the fear of the Lord. Not afraid of God in the sense, ooh, this way. No, a reverence and awe that every step I take, every word, listen to me carefully, every word that I speak, every attitude that flashes, every lust that comes into my mind, every time I think of saying a lie, every time I covet, God is there watching and weighing all of it, and I'm accountable to him for it. See, when I'm traveling alone in a motel and my wife is not around, God is there when I turn the television set off or on when something comes on that I shouldn't be watching. According to statistics, 40% or more of the men sitting in this auditorium today have had involved with pornography this week. That's a national statistic. Why? You live in the fear of the Lord. You thought your wife was sleeping, see? You young people that get messed up in that kind of stuff, see? When you go to those theaters and see the films that you do, the R-rated and all the stuff and everything, I taught my son early, if it comes on the screen, just close your eyes. 
You know what? He saw me do it when I took him one time. Something came on the screen. You know, you know all the stuff that goes on, right? Okay, it's on the screen in the middle of nowhere. You're sitting there watching a movie. All of a sudden, it's, you're in a bedroom someplace. Okay, he, he, he turned and looked at me. He said, "Gee, Dad has his eyes closed too. Why? Because sitting next to me in that theater was the Lord, and I'm accountable for everything." that I say, do, feel, attitude. That's what it means to walk in the fear. The Greek means behavior coupled with respect or influencing the disposition and attitude of one whose life is guided by the Holy Spirit. A carefulness in dealing with God and others. Do you get it? No wonder Peter used the word Peculiar. We are a peculiar people. Chosen people. Special people. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're different not because of what we do. We're different because of who we are. Can you see how devastating it is when a Christian falls into sin? When a church family is dysfunctional? When a church is racked by hypocrites? The world is watching, but so is God. I heard Adrian Rogers, the great Baptist preacher, uh, make a statement one time. He was at a conference talking with pastors, and here's what he said. He said, one of the reasons I'm so, and he, I'm going to try to make him like a southerner. I can't talk like a southerner. <laughs> he said, one, one of the reasons that I'm, I'm, my, my life is clean before the Lord, he said, because all these years, every time a thought came or a lust came or a possibility up with another woman or something, I thought of looking into the eyes of my little grandchildren and my little granddaughter saying, Papa, did that happen to you? And he said, there was no way I was going to hear my little granddaughter tell me that. i got to tell you this. A man in our church fell into adultery, and he went to one of my assistant pastors, and we teach our people, you know, go, go talk to one of the pastors. We'll work you through a restoration. And, and he says to the assistant pastor, he says, he says I, I fall into this and the assistant, look, we got to go talk to the pastor and work out her. <gasps> I don't know if I want the pastor. What do you mean? No, the pastor's got to know. You're a member of the church. You're living in adultery. He's got to help you through this, right? He said, he said, I, I don't know if I'm more afraid of the pastor than I am of God. <laughs> You know what the, my assistant said to him? Well, if you're more afraid of the pastor than you are of God, then I guess you know the pastor better than you know God. Philippians 2.13, For it is God working in you, giving you the grace, the desire, and power to do what pleases him. Quickly, number four. Watch this now. The church enjoyed peace being built up. There's the purpose. Going on in the fear of the Lord. That's the peculiarity that keeps us right before God and others around us. And in the comfort 
of the Holy Spirit, Greek word strengthening, enabling, encouragement of the Holy Spirit. That's the power. Talk about kingdom growth in your life, in your marriage, in your families, in your businesses. Stay with me now. The power, the energy, the enablement by the power of the Holy Spirit. Anything short of that in our lives will end up shallow or meaningless in the long term. Benji and I visited Argentina some time ago. I took a sabbatical, my only one in 50 years. We were gone seven weeks. So we went down to Argentina, and I was visiting the churches, Baptist churches, Pentecostal churches. I'm non-denominational. Uh, Nazarene churches, all of them, okay. And I, I got to a Baptist pastor, and I said to him, I said, Marcelo, I got to ask you a question. What, what do you think is the key to the, phenom- the longest-running revival in the history of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, including the Old and New Testament, is in Argentina, or was there in the last 20 years or so? Now, I said, what do you think is the key? And here was his word to me. All flesh must go. I wanted some church growth talk. I wanted some phenomenal thing that they read in a book or something or what. His was his word. All flesh must go. Four words. Dr. Stephen Olford, one of my mentors, spoke at Gateways many times. He said, if the Holy Spirit stopped moving in most of our churches, we wouldn't know the difference. May that never be said of Gateway or the Crossing, Pastor Tim. We wouldn't know the difference. We're so good. Our music is so, our sound, our seating, our air conditioning, it's so good. We, we wouldn't know the difference. How we need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our churches that will shake our nation, our cities, our world. Before Jesus returns, I cry it for, for I cry out for it to happen. I cry out in our own church. I pray for your church. I, I cry out, oh God, please send a renewal. Awaken us, Lord God. Awaken us, oh Lord. Awaken us. How often do I end my service with these words? Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, and may you abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the summer of 1951, I was left to die with polio in Queens, and I I remember the day that the ambulance came to our home in Belrose, and uh, I took Vanjie and my son passed it the other night, we were out in Long Island, went, went past it. And, and I was rushed to the hospital. I was there all day, 106 and a half fever. My body had, had straightened out, and, and I was in a, a, a crippling form. And, and I was rushed, and there all day long, they're tapping my spine. It took them nine times. Some of you nurses know what that means, nine times to get what they wanted. And they discovered it was polio. They thought it was a pneumonia. They thought it was this, and discovered it was polio. And there I am on that bed, and they immediately shifted me out of the general hospital took me to a hospital ward in Queens that was just polio cases I got there 11 o'clock at night 
and my mother and father saw me dropped off in a room that was twice the size of this in length, and all down the sides were the iron lungs. All the children and men and women in iron lungs. And they put a bed there because I wasn't ready for that yet because the doctor said if God didn't step in, I'd be dead by the next morning. It was Wednesday night prayer meeting, and they went to church, and my pastor said, we're going to pray through the night. And they prayed through the night till the next morning. At 6 o'clock the next morning, he left the church and went to the hospital, called my mom and dad, and they came. They couldn't get into the hospital. All they could do was look down. It was September 5th, 1951. They could look down the hallway, and they saw me on the bed jumping up saying, I'm healed. Mommy, look at me. I'm healed. And, and my, I, I, I was completely, miraculously healed by the power of God. The night before, the last thing I remember saying before I went to sleep that night was, God, if you heal me, I'll be a minister. I was the first in our family, Tim. We had never had any, any pastors in our family. And I said, I'll be a pastor. And I went to sleep, woke up the next morning completely healed by the power of God. Why do I say that? Because 64 years ago, God demonstrated his power in my life. I don't know why he healed me and didn't heal others that we have lost in our family. I don't know why, but I know this much. God demonstrates his power when he has a purpose and plan for our lives. And some of you... And along with me in my present situation where I am right now in a time of great need in our church, in our ministry on Staten Island. God, as you guys sing the chorus, show us your glory. I mean, if you don't sing it, you've got to find it. It's James McDonald. Show us your glory. <laughs> Power. Let me close. The church enjoyed peace, being built up, that's the purpose. Going on, the fear of the Lord, that's a peculiarity. In the comfort of the spirit, that's the power. Watch this now. It continued to increase. One translation says, they prospered wonderfully. The New Living Testament says, it also grew in numbers. Now listen carefully. God sets no limits on his church on the believer individually, on your marriage, on your business, you businessmen that are here, God sets no limit. When you have a passion for kingdom growth, growth that will affect the world around you and the kingdom of God around you, there's no limits. Let's never lose the vision to see God's kingdom grow and expand, guided by these principles. By these dynamics, by scriptural ingredients for growth. Forget all the other foolishness. It is flesh. And it's going to end up shallow. But when there's peace and when there's purpose and when there's peculiarity in Christ following him, when there's the power of the Holy Spirit, that's how it happens. Let me close. Do you have peace with God today? Are you living with peace with God? I don't know how anybody could live in this world without going to bed at night and saying, God, no matter what happens, 
I'm in your hands. I got a brother dying of cancer right now. I called him the other day. James, how you doing? He says, look, he said, I'm coming close. But he said, I want to die like a Christian. I want to show our family. I want to show our friends. I want to show my church that are praying for my healing. He said, I believe that if God wants to do it. But he said, I, I want to die like a cure. I want to show them how to die like a Christian. I said, James, you sound like you're in perfect peace. Do you have that kind of peace today? Do you have that as a Christian? I'm tired of Christians, the big C word. Oh, cancer, oh God, they're dead. They're just panicking and everything. I, I thought the Bible said to live as Christ, to die as gain. I thought that's what it said. Do you have peace with God? Are your sins forgiven? If you were to die today, something would have happened. Are you ready to meet Christ? Do you have peace with others in, 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 in the body of Christ? Are there Christians that you left other churches or pastors? Oh, God help us. The pastors that you're still mad at, don't, 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 don't carry it to, to the crossing because you'll be mad at him soon. It happened to me over and over again. <laughs> Whenever a person says, oh, I love you. I, hate, I didn't like my other church. I say, oh, God, here we go. Here we go. I'm next. I'm next. I'm next. Are you at peace with yourself? Oh, listen. I'm not. Listen, please be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet but I'm at peace to know that he's working. Are you using your gifts and talents to fulfill the purpose of Christ in your life and your family and your marriage in this church? Are your actions and attitudes informed by the fear of the Lord, the awe, the respect, the honor that you want him? Young people, listen to me. Live a life that honors the Lord. What an example you have as your pastor. I've seen him all his life honoring Christ. I'm so proud of that. Is that what you want in your life? And then the power. Are you struggling to live the Christian life? The best thing you will ever say to God in prayer is, I can't do it, Lord. Because when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, his multiplied grace and power comes. He says, you can't, but I can. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And will you catch a passion for Christian growth in your life personally? Will you catch a passion for growth in your marriage? Vanjie and I married 57 years this year. And, and we still talk about, man, we haven't got it down yet. You know, have you got it down yet? After 50 years, we're out we, 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 have, we, haven't, we haven't got it down yet. But you know what that does? It keeps us wanting more. It keeps us wanting to grow more. Is, you think of it that way? Have you put a limit on where you're going in your family? Oh, that's it. The kids are going to be saved or saved, and the relatives are going to be saved or saved. No, not going to happen. I had some experiences yesterday at one of our aunt's funeral that I'll, I'll tell you about later that said, Lord, after all these years, that one finally said something complimentary about the message. Wow, I've been preaching those funerals for years. And you think, no, no, if we put, we can't, we may limit. God's not going to limit what he's going to do. See, don't, don't put any limits on the crossing. Don't put any limits on the crossing. Please stand here find your pastor. I know he has a passion for kingdom growth, not to make himself. He wouldn't have been here if he didn't have a passion for the
growth and seeing people come to Christ. Say, oh, God, God, do something in our church. Give us a new passion and long to see our church grow and move forward in Christ. Let me close. If I'm alive in the year 2000, it will be a thrill to look across America in the 21st century and see tremendous institutions in every city carrying out fantastic programs to heal human hearts, to fill human needs, enormous centers of human inspiration where people gather by the thousands, by the tens of thousands on Sunday and seven days a week for spiritual and personal growth. Tremendous spiritual growth centers. Dynamic inspiration generating centers, great family development centers, proof positive of a renewed, revitalized, resurrected church for a new generation. Forty years ago, I read that, and I said, Lord, I want Gateway to be one of those churches in America in the 21st century. All that we give, all that we build, all that we do, has one purpose, kingdom growth, souls saved, marriages healed, churches expanding and moving forward, neighborhoods, cities being transformed, Christ being exalted and lifted up. I challenge you to adopt that little statement, yes, Lord, we can, and yes, Lord, we will. Bow with me in prayer. Father, I thank you for this beautiful church and these beautiful people this morning. And Lord, I pray that deep, deep in our souls would come a passion and a desire to see personally every one of our lives growing in Christ. Oh, God, that's my prayer this year. It hit me on New Year's Eve, Lord. I want to know Jesus better. I want a more intimate walk with him. I want to grow in my inner man. And oh, God, help us to pray that our marriages will see that kind of growth, our family, our children, our churches, Lord. Oh, this church, Lord, I pray for an explosion of growth after years of planting and faithfully serving you. Thank you for what you've done, Lord, and thank you for this beautiful facility that's being worked on here. God, let this be a powerful lighthouse for you in this region of New Jersey. And, oh, God, I pray that all of this will happen because it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. That's our prayer. With your heads bowed today, take a moment before pastor comes to reflect on what we have said and what we've talked about this morning. And ask yourself, how does it apply to my life? How can it transform me to be all God wants me to be?